Matthew 26. Um, I'm actually going to, I'm going to move through this pretty quickly this morning because I, I want to come back to worship. There's something God's been doing all the way through this morning that's um, pretty beautiful and I want to make sure that we mark it and we get to respond actually in worship. So Matthew 26, it's a familiar story where in this season, uh, you remember, you'll be reminded that um, in this series and in this season where we're looking at the questions of Jesus and how we get to respond to some of the things that Jesus in his interactions with people um, created questions. And remember, we, we often uh, when we're in our lives, when people question us, it's to bring some form of correction or discipline or it's to highlight something that we've got wrong. But what we've loved about this journey with the Bible and with Jesus and the questions he poses is that every time we've run into a question, we've discovered a moment for fresh intimacy and fresh understanding and fresh connection with him. It's never been a Hey, here's a question, go figure it out and come back to me when you've got the answer. It's a, hey, let me draw you closer to who I am and what I have for you. And, and this question is the same this, this morning. And, and um, um, so let's dive straight in, verse six. It's a familiar story and it's, it's the moment when Jesus gets anointed by a woman with oil. It says this, back in Bethany, while Jesus was in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask of the most expensive perfume and poured it out on his head as, he's, as he was at the table. The disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, what's the point of such wicked waste? Couldn't this perfume have been sold for a lot of money which could have been given to the poor? Jesus knew what they were saying and spoke to them. Here's the question. Why must you make this woman feel uncomfortable? She's done a beautiful thing for me. You'll have the poor amongst you always, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she was preparing it for burial. I assure you that whenever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, this deed of hers will also be recounted as her memorial to me. So there's this question that sits right in the, the middle of this kind of bizarre encounter in a house and we'll pull it apart. And, but really, the... The thing about this story is it's a, it's a story of three very unique perspectives. Um, three different groups of people, Jesus, a woman, and uh, the disciples, which we'll come to. And we'll look at this story from the different perspectives because there's some stuff that we can pull out in which there's a question that Jesus asks, which causes us to reflect, reorientate, reconsider. And it's something that I think has got... Um, both beautifully simple and yet extraordinarily profound meaning for us as we explore what it is to truly be worshippers and be devoted followers of Jesus. But this story really is, it's, a, it's, about, it's about perspectives. I, uh, years ago, Sarah and I were over with her family in Paris and we went to see the Monet um, exhibition, which is, uh, again, as much as I'm not a surfer, I'm not an art connoisseur. Um, just have it all out there, honestly. Um, it sounds very cool to be in Paris looking at art. I just quite like the food and the wine. It was great. Um, but there was this, obviously, the, uh, the, there was the Water Lily uh, exhibition, which is amazing, kind of beautiful, huge um, paintings. And what was fascinating is, is that 
um, is that you, you, go, you went into various different rooms where these, um, where these water lilies were displayed, the artwork of the water lilies, and some of them are huge and take up whole vast sections of the wall. And it's really interesting because you, at times you're really up close. There's a lot of people were in there and you're sort of crammed in and you're kind of, you're trying to just move where the people are moving. You're trying to look at the art a little bit, but you kind of get forced into being wherever you, wherever you happen to be based on where all the people are moving. And from quite a bit of time when I stepped into one of the rooms where one of the biggest, I think there's 25 of these um, water lily pictures um, that Monet did. And, and, and uh, the biggest one, I was kind of stood in the room and I ended up really close to, to where the, the artwork was, where the painting was. And I just remember thinking, oh yeah, it's like, I just can't quite get the right perspective. All I can, I can see some brush strokes and that's interesting and I can, I can see some green and some blues and I, I figure there's something bigger here. But what was interesting then is, is as the room dispersed and I managed to actually gravitate towards the back, I stepped back probably about 10 foot and all of a sudden the perspective shifted and it changed and there was this, there's this beautiful art which I could, which I could take on board and, and the intricacies of what I'd seen up close and personal actually made sense. And I feel like a lot of the time with, with our journey with Jesus that there's, there's often perspectives that we feel that we either through our own circumstances or things that we've encountered, we, we get a perspective on what it is to follow Jesus that is, is, um, is just up close and we don't see the full picture and we get forced into thinking that Christianity and following Jesus looks a certain way. And, and actually there's, there's time and space and I think often a, a unique different vantage point to to. To, to experience that helps us see the much bigger picture. And yes, the beauty of art is that it's made up of brush strokes and to see the fine, finite, beautiful kind of intricacies of brush strokes, that's amazing. But then also there's the beauty of being able to step back and have a perspective that says, oh yeah, all these various different strokes and this canvas, it's actually about a beautiful picture. And so I want us to hold that really, not just in terms of what we're gonna look at this morning, but to recognize that there'll be seasons of time when you're like, oh, do you know, I, I actually want Holy Spirit for you to show me the big picture here, show me the perspective for, of where you're at and what you're saying and what you're doing so that I can see the big picture. But like I say, in this story, there, there are three central figures in this story and they all have a unique perspective. They all have a unique vantage point on what happened in this house. And, um, and right in the middle of that, we have this key figure of Jesus who cuts across everything that's just gone on over the last few minutes and he poses this question. And the question is, is then forced to uh, challenge and, and, and uh, bring an element of uh, reorientation for the disciples. And I think it as well had the opportunity in this question to affirm what we have discovered to be the beautiful act of worship and devotion that this woman um, had had just done. So we have these three key figures and we have these three perspectives. We've got Jesus, who is this focal, um, focal um, point of the, of the extravagance of worship. You, we have the woman, the one who brings this extravagant act of worship. And interestingly, in, in, we find out from in John 12 that this woman is, is Mary. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? who were Lazarus's sisters, remember that story? And um, so we've already got some history with Mary and we understand a little bit about how she understands what it is to be devoted to Jesus, but that's for another story. And then we, we have the disciples and they're obviously the focal point of the, of the response that they make to this beautiful extravagant act of worship with the oil and then you've got 
Jesus' question and then uh, to their response to that. So let's, let's start with the disciples. You know, the, the question really is placed right in the very, uh, in the very heart of this encounter, and, it's, and it's, pointed at, it's pointed at the disciples. Like I say, we'll find out, and we'll look at in a minute, we'll look at Mary, we'll look at the woman, and we'll see where it affirmed what she'd done. But for the disciples, it was a, it was a real moment of understanding. It was, a, it was a moment where their perspective, which they very quickly brought to the table in terms of response, was challenged. And, and there was an opportunity for a moment of reflection and learning and, and, and an ability for, a, for their understanding and their perception to be realigned to how Jesus would see it. And ultimately, that is the heartbeat of what it is to be a disciple. It's like, how can I be with Jesus? How can I be like him? And ultimately, align how I see the world around me through the lens of how Jesus sees the world around me. And that's, that's what this whole encounter is with the disciples, that they, uh, they, in the midst of this situation, in the midst of their response, there's an element of, hey, could we look at this thing a little bit differently? And these, I love the disciples in these kind of things because they are really affirming to me. Like these guys have literally spent, probably at this point in, this, in, in their in the narrative arc, they probably spent about three years in person, up close and personal with Jesus. And like at any point when they were just sort of like signing off their NVQ discipleship journey type file, they were like getting to the end, like got it all done. And they're like, and then they do this kind of thing. And they're like, brings me a lot of courage because these are guys who spent, lived and breathed time with Jesus. And yet in these moments, they got it horrendously wrong still. So a lot of, uh, I also like playing this game. You could do this with me, but um. When you read uh, through the New Testament, you find these moments when um, it's the disciples responding some to, it doesn't highlight which disciple. It, get to know the dis different disciples, read through the New Testament, and then try and figure out which one you think was taking the lead. I reckon Peter was pretty involved in this response. I reckon James was probably egging him on a little bit, but I reckon those two were pretty heavily in the response. But. Um, what we find is we find themselves responding to this situation of this extravagant worship and their response, as the Bible tells us, is indignant, which in other words, they had an, a, a response, a reaction of anger and annoyance at this perceived waste and the injustice of the waste of the oil. And then their very quick assessment that that, 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 that waste could have been better used that oil, that value could have been better used somewhere else because they just hadn't got it. And they expressed this opinion in no uncertain terms. Let's remind ourselves, it says, what's the point of such wicked waste? Couldn't this perfume have been sold for a lot of money which could have been given to the poor? And Jesus steps right into the middle of this judgment statement which is that, you know, maybe it was one of the disciples. Maybe they got together and had a conflab and maybe well, was a spokesperson. But it, this woman who just performed this beautiful act of extravagance and worship of Jesus gets the full force of the disciples' judgment and response. And so Jesus, it says, understood what was going on and he responded with the question, why must you make this woman feel uncomfortable? It's interesting that we've looked at a lot of questions of Jesus and often Jesus's more direct challenge often came to the more religious or even sinners. There's this reality of how Jesus often responded to, uh, to, to unearth some religious view or, or some religiosity, obviously um, with the Pharisees oftentimes. But these were, these were his 
people. <laughs> These were the people that he'd walked with, and yet, and yet even then, and even with them, there was a need to bring some realignment. And again, like I say, that brings me great encouragement. But the disciples had this, had this perspective, and it was that this act, this breaking open of the oil that would have, would have cost a lot of money, this breaking open the oil and pouring it on Jesus as an act of worship and devotion, the perspective, the, the lens that the disciples had was that this was wasteful, it was over extravagant, it was unnecessary, it was misplaced. That was their perspective. And what becomes really clear is that, is that their response to this situation was from a very human level. Like what they failed to see was going on in the, in the spiritual and what was happening in this beautiful moment of beauty between Jesus and this woman was ultimately that their, their lens for what was going on was purely just through their human eyes, like their human existence. And what became clear is that, is that actually as they, as they formed judgments, as they considered this act of worship, they very quickly filtered it through their own human understanding. And through the back of that decided, you know what, through my human metrics and my human values and my human perspective, I'm going to deem what I've just seen as a complete waste and completely unnecessary. It's really interesting because, you know, we come together and we, we, we gather together and worship on a Sunday. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't imagine there's many of you that, that come in and sit around while worship's going on and, and look around and think, yeah, that's extravagant, that two hands in this song. This is a, this is a hands in front of you at best moment ridiculous get those hands no one's I, I i don't i don't imagine if you are you probably feel a little rebuked sorry <laughs> um but here's the thing i don't i don't i don't feel like i don't feel like that's what what necessarily goes on in our in our thinking but i wonder whether there is a process of human thinking where we where we place value certain value on on expressions of worship and again it might not even be an expression of worship in a time of worship but it might be that you're in a conversation and you know someone shares with you something where they where they stepped out in faith or the, the or, or where they where they did something an act of generosity or a sense of like hey i thought god was saying for me to pray for my friend at work and so i did and and you might have thought well you know, that it's a little over the top, you know, maybe it's a little extravagant, maybe, you know, there's a lot of risk there, there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong. I, I don't know whether in your conversations, you're probably a lot purer than me, but there's the reality of like, I wonder whether in our interactions, whether it be in a, an expressed time of worship when we're together or just as we're in our life of following Jesus, when, when we actually consider through a human lens what other people are doing and whether we judge it and create a value for it and say, well, yeah, I, I maybe don't value that the way you do. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look at what you're doing, I'm gonna look at the way you're living your life, I'm gonna look at the way you express yourself to Jesus and I'm gonna filter that through my own value system and I'm gonna pop it out the other side and give you a response. And maybe, never, maybe it's never a response. Like I say, it's, it's unlikely there'll be people in the room that you know, when we're having tea and coffee that you're gonna go and say, oh, I saw you second song, two hands up. Yeah, let's not next week, shall we? Like that, those are not the conversations, we don't have those conversations. 
But I feel like the, the check for us here in this story, in this question, is like how much, of, how much of what we observe around us as we journey together as a community comes through our own value systems? How much do we see it at a human level? Or how much can we engage with what goes on in our lives as spiritual? The way in which we are loving and serving and are abandoned to the person of Jesus. Which leads us on to the woman's perspective, Mary's perspective. And, and this is a deeply spiritual perspective. You know, we, we have a woman who breaks in, she didn't break into the house, she probably got let in, she, they knew who she was. She comes into the house and she does this out of the ordinary, extravagant, unheard of thing uh, as an act of devotion and worship. And I think it's worth stepping into her perspective because we, we hear it, often we read these scriptures and we read them very 2D and we think, oh, you know, she busted in, broke the thing, oil, dish worship, ah, oh, great. But actually, I wonder whether there was a whole process in her thinking where for a time she probably sat in her human thinking. I wonder whether she maybe had some anxious thoughts about how what she was about to do was going to be perceived by the people in the room. I would imagine so. I wonder whether she at, she at moments when she was actually, when she had that first thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this oil, whether, it, whether her next thought was, I can't afford to. Maybe she thought through the whole pro, the human thought process of, gosh, if I do that, what happens if Jesus rejects me? What happens if, what happens if that's not what he wants? What happens if, that's, if, if that would be a mark of disrespect? Or maybe he's, maybe he's busy, or maybe I shouldn't, or what are the cultural norms, and what are people going to say? I wonder whether we could step into her perspective before all of this happens and realize she's probably navigated through a lot of human fleshly thinking before she popped up and did this extravagant thing that we now know is going to be marked for eternity, and every time the gospel is preached that we're going to know about, and this moment is going to be marked as an act of beauty like I wonder whether behind that glorious thing is a is a, a woman's journey through insecurity and questions and and what what's going to be right and what if I get it wrong and I wonder whether how how much maybe we're like that I wonder whether how much we come into those times of responding to Jesus with our life and our worship, be that in a corporate setting or just as we go about life, and yet we're maybe questioning our, our own humanity in the midst of it. And maybe at times that holds us away from taking risks. Maybe at times we've known that there's been a deep, deep desire for us to respond to Jesus with extravagance and that thought pops in our mind and we're like, oh, just I'll maybe temper that. I'll maybe go halfway. I wonder, this has been my journey. I, I genuinely sense that in times of worship, this, uh, the, these moments when I'm like, I, we had, it was again this morning, and again, some of it's around songs where we're expressing our sense of, of devotion and our sense of giving God everything and our sense of, our sense of complete um, abandonment to him. Like, I, I want everything, and then, and then I realize, oh, I'm actually self-conscious in the middle of the, all of this as well. And how many of us have, are on that journey of, of wrestling and moving through an element of self-conscious consciousness as we move towards what we all desire, which is to be completely given over in adoration and worship to Jesus? I think we're okay to own that, but to move through it like she did. Mary did this beautiful, and Mary's got history. This is what I love about Mary. Mary's got history with Jesus, so she knows already that what he really values is devotion. 
She already knows that, that when it came to her interaction, Mary and Martha, that when, when, when she sat at Jesus' feet, Martha was off busying, that, that Jesus said, no, Mary has chosen the better way. So there's some confidence that is already, I know, stirring around Mary's life as she's processing whether she should do this thing or not. There's some confidence in terms of who Jesus is and what he loves and what he values. And, and there's an alignment with her life and, and this action that says, oh, there's some history. And I, I think we have to pull on that history that we have with Jesus to know those beautiful moments of actually of, of real connection and intimacy with him and to know that that's available to us anytime we want. But actually self-consciousness and, um, and worship really do sit at odds. Because worship is all about one person. It's Jesus. And so to remain conscious, to not be able to move through our consciousness of self, our self-awareness, where those things hold us back or constrain us, it, it actually is at odds with our created nature. Like we're created to be at one and with intimacy and worship with God. That's what we're, it's how we're created to be. And so when we let... A, an, a, an over-exaggerated or over-self-awareness um, to come flooding in and to begin to in any way change that nature, to constrain it, to give it a second thought, to hold it back, we're going to hit a problem because actually it's not really who we are. And Mary found that place. She knew who she was. And so the ability probably for her to move through those human questions and insecurities and get to a place where she counted the cost was amazing. And then there's Jesus' perspective. This is whole thing that happened happened around Jesus. And the thing is, is that Jesus doesn't respond at a human level. He, he's not overly concerned with what's going on. He sat around a table, so it's likely he was having food. And so he didn't rebuke her for bad timing. He didn't question her judgment in terms of the style of her worship. He didn't actually have a question about whether he liked the smell or not. He wasn't concerned with the mess. He wasn't asking questions of who was going to cover the dry cleaning. Like these were not in Jesus's frame. It wasn't what he was thinking about. Jesus saw worship when the disciples saw waste. You know, Jesus saw beautiful, something beautiful when the disciples saw something wasteful. And I love this as well. Jesus, in his response to the woman, doesn't, doesn't make it for the disciples an issue of right and wrong. Like we like that when we read scripture, we're like, oh Jesus, what, what's the right thing to do and what's the wrong thing to do? So the beautiful thing about this story is not one of you needs to go out and buy some expensive perfume and bring it next week. Because this wasn't, this wasn't a prescribed way of worship and adoration of Jesus. It wasn't a delineating thing between the right thing to do is get perfume, the wrong thing to do is judge that as wasteful. No, he calls it beautiful. And I feel like there's, there's this expansive territory with Jesus that we get to experience, which is actually the, the space of beauty which is not really about what is, what's the right thing to do or what's the wrong thing to do, but it's about wandering and wandering with Jesus into a space of beauty in our worship. 
And I love Jesus in this moment. He's able to affirm the heart of Mary and to, to acknowledge that hey, this thing, this, this, this space of beauty that you found in your adoration and worship of you, which I, I want to call centuries of Jesus' followers into that place of beauty. He doesn't prescribe it. He doesn't say it's about, you know, we're not building ritual around this. Like I say, don't bring perfume next week. It's not about building ritual, but it is about an invitation to wander and to wander into the beauty of what it is to be fully devoted in our worship of Jesus. And Jesus affirms that by saying, this thing, what you've done, this act of beauty, it will be marked. Every time the gospel is preached, you, this act, this thing, this aroma of beauty will be something that will be elevated for all time. So when it comes to our worship, as we close out this thing, and worship team come back up, that'd be great. We've got a few more minutes to hang out with this thing. But when it comes to our worship, what is our vantage point? What is our perspective? Do we come to worship with a, a constraint of our human thinking? Or actually, do we acknowledge that this is, a, this is a deeply, profoundly spiritual thing that we get to do, whether that be in a gathered space or in the rest of our lives? This is a beautifully profound, significant space that we get to occupy, which is actually marked by beauty. And the thing about beauty is that, is that it doesn't look one way. Like when you get here on a Sunday morning, there's, there is no expectation for you to worship in any particular way. There's not a right and there's not a wrong. There's just beauty. And we can explore beauty. We can take time in, in, our, in our song worship to be like, do you know what? I want to offer something that's sacrificial. What does that look like for me this morning? Well, it looks like me putting my hands up in the air. I want to express myself with my body. It means I'm going to sing the song rather than sit down. It means I'm going to push through when I feel I get tired. What's the cost? What's that look like for you? But again, if we acknowledge that it doesn't need to come through our human thinking, and is this right or is this wrong? Is this a sacrifice? Is it not? What will people think? Is this what Jesus wants? Jesus is just looking for beauty. And I think, you know, for many of us, we, beauty creates a, a, sense of, a sense of unknown. Because it's like, for some of you, you're just like, oh, if you could just tell me what to do. If it was like, second song in, that is a two-hand song. Like, let's just have some rules around here. Let's just make sure we all know what we're... No. We will always invite you into beauty, to experience the beauty of intimacy with God. To know what it is to, to crack open your life and let the aroma of your life and your worship be something that, that Jesus turns around and says... It didn't need to look like anybody else's worship, but that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I see that beauty. And for that, that becomes a consistent, continuous choice, whether we're in here on a Sunday or whether we're out there worshiping and following Jesus. Each and every day, we get to crack open our lives and let beauty be something that marks who we are. So can we take a few minutes? I know um, time's run on a little bit, but let's just hover in this space. We're going to worship for a moment or two. Whatever that looks like, it's not prescribed, it's not prescriptive, it's not any particular one way, but I would encourage you, why don't you stand? I'd encourage you. Say to Jesus this morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship, I'm gonna take these minutes. What does beauty look like? What is the sacrifice of cracking open something that maybe looks a little different this morning? What, what might that look like for me this morning? 
And let this be a, a marked moment that Jesus again elevates, just like he did with Mary. Not just for this Sunday, but for this week, for this month, for every time that we get together, that we would say, Jesus, we're coming together to crack open our lives and let beauty be something that we experience with you. Is that right?